To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be the glory and power forever. Amen. The word of God guiding our meditation this evening is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in sales and politics, where persuasion techniques are used, there is a tactic known as Thinking past the sale. The person using it, of course, does not want you to be aware of it, but in some cases it won't even matter if you do, because he has already achieved his aim of planting a thought in your head that you cannot get rid of. The basic idea is that you are prompted to imagine what things will be like after a decision has been made to bias you toward making that decision. An example might be a car salesman approaching you on the lot and asking, So, when you picture yourself driving home in one of these Hondas, is it the red or the blue? Here, he has pushed your thinking way past the question of, Am I interested in one of these cars to beyond the sale? Hmm, when I get one, which color do I prefer? Another example might be a politician calling his opponent the worst liar in politics. You may have had no opinion or even a positive opinion of the opponent previously, but now you start thinking, hey, there are much worse liars out there. And what has happened? He has anchored the idea in your mind that his opponent is a liar. And now you're only deciding how bad a liar he is in comparison to other liars. Thinking past the sale is most often considered manipulation. But the basic idea behind it can be used for good purposes, too. If an individual or a larger group seems to be stuck in some kind of wrong, counterproductive, or negative thinking, 
shifting their thoughts to a right and positive outcome beyond the current problem, skipping over false ideas and unhelpful objections can actually be a a good, even loving thing to do. I found myself thinking of this technique when I was wondering, as I often have, why Jesus did not just stay quiet or say something neutral, but instead spoke those words to the Sanhedrin that we read tonight, words that that only seemed to antagonize them further. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He had just said that he was sure they would not believe his testimony about whether he was the Christ or not. But then he upped the ante by resituating himself in their minds from earth in front of them to the throne of God in heaven. Jesus wanted them to get beyond the question of whether or not he was the Messiah, because they had already decided he wasn't. He wanted them instead to see him as he would be, beyond this trial, beyond death, even beyond the grave, to see him seated in glory at the right hand of the power of God. Now, if he had succeeded in shifting their thinking that way, it would have made them think twice about what they were about to do with him. But if all the miracles he had done were not sufficient to convince them to tread lightly, well, there was not much hope that these words would help. But this wasn't a failure on his part. Because what he said was not just a reply to his persecutors. It was much more importantly an affirmation for his followers, for all who would ever believe in him, for all who would ever hear or read these words. Jesus was making clear, both to his enemies and his friends, that no matter how much he might seem to be losing at that moment, arrested, abandoned, abused, on his way to death, he would come through all of this as the winner. And he wanted us to see that too. To see beyond the the discouraging current reality to the glory and power on the other side of his suffering and death. But even during the horrific hours of his passion, there was a greater reality to be apprehended. Even as he was suffering and even as he was dying, seeming to be losing to his enemies, Jesus was fighting and defeating our enemies. He stood firm against the tides of suffering and hate that washed over him, and he endured all of this, and he did it all for us. That one little phrase is easy to pass over too quickly in our reading from Romans or anywhere in Scripture where we find it. But it speaks volumes when we let it. Christ's passion is the ultimate proof that despite all the evil in the world and despite all the evil that you or I have done, God is for us. Jesus shows his courage 
not in fighting off what is coming, but in submitting to it. Because he does so for us. And he knows it is the only way to win salvation for us. He stands and accepts the blows that Satan rains down on him. He stands and endures the torment of hell. He stands and allows death to drain him of life and breath. He stands with his arms stretched wide and his feet and his hands nailed in place and every gasp more painful from the last. And he cries out in his forsakenness and with it all he stands as our champion because he does it all and wins it all for us. Of course, unlike the members of the Sanhedrin that night, and unlike his frightened disciples, scattered, insecure, and unsure, we know how it all turned out. We know not only that the Jewish authorities turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, who in turn turned him over for crucifixion, but we also know that on the third day after his death, Jesus rose again to life having completed his mission of paying for our sins and defeating death and the devil. And 40 days later, Christ ascended into heaven where he lives and rules eternally at the right hand of God. But do we know, can we know, how it all turns out for us? It's one thing to say Jesus did everything he did for our sake, but it's another thing to see that it is really and practically true. True for me and true for you. But I'm not the one saying that it is. It is Christ's own apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter says in his first letter, Christ also suffered once for sins in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in flesh, but was made alive in spirit, in which he also went and made an announcement to the spirits in prison. This tells us that after he rose, Jesus took a victory lap through hell to proclaim his mission accomplished and to declare the defeat not only of his enemies, but of our enemies. What he did in our place eliminates every obstacle and all opposition and brings us to God. Paul writes similarly in Colossians, Even when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ by forgiving us all our trespasses. God erased the record of our debt brought against us by his legal demands. This record stood against us, but he took it away by nailing it to the cross. After disarming the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them by triumphing over them in Christ. You see, on the cross... Jesus won for us the erasure of our debt of sin before God, and his death now gives us life. And so he marches through Satan's home with his defeated enemies on display, showing that their power over us has been destroyed. And John, 
another apostle in his first letter, underscores what we've just read in Romans, assuring us that Christ's championing his people was not just the one time with his cross and empty tomb, but is something that continues every day and in every need in heaven. We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Christ is our advocate, our champion, not only in sacrificing himself for us, but also in standing at the right hand of God and pleading our case with his Father when we sin and need forgiveness, when we fall and need to be restored, when we struggle and strain and need strength and wisdom, when Satan tempts and our flesh drives us towards sin, and enemies persecute and false friends entice us, when we grieve and groan and we need help, Jesus intercedes for us every day and in every way. Just as just as he stood strong for us, as his adversaries assembled like vultures and arranged for his execution, just as he stared down death and did not blink, just as he endured every temptation and neither sinned nor surrendered, just as he suffered the cosmic soul-searing pain of being separated from his Father's loving fellowship, He served as our champion then and still is our champion today and will be tomorrow. Throughout the centuries, still today and undoubtedly until the last day, skeptics and scorners have pointed to the image of Jesus on the cross and mocked Christians for their puny, weak, dead deity And they have wondered how anyone could ever worship, let alone trust, such a loser God. But we are happy to be known as his followers. Because what he endured, his passion, shows us not to be deluded devotees of a loser. It shows us instead to be the championed people of a faithful willing, and victorious Son of God. After all, when we consider what Jesus did and won for us, what can anyone or anything say or do against us? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that was raised to life, is the one who was at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. There is no one who can stand against us because Christ stands for us. We are championed. Amen. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.